Welcome to Closing the Gap, and I'm your host, Denise Cooper. Ever wanted good advice or insights about your career, leadership, or navigating messy organizational politics? Getting good advice can make all the difference between making the right choices and worrying about what to do. So sit back, relax, and listen as my guests and I talk about lessons learned about career success, leadership, and HR in the 21st century. Have you ever been just perusing Indeed or LinkedIn looking for a new job or at least seeing what's out there? Have you ever read one of those job descriptions and went, what in the world is this company looking for? Or worse yet, boring. Well, I know it happens because many people will pick up the phone or they'll email me and say, hey, can you help me out? I don't know what this company's saying, what this job description means and how would I apply for it? It's a fight between wanting a job and a company looking for the right person. And somehow we're just not making the two easy uh, to do business with each other. Well, my next guest is Katrina Gibbons. She's the head of Three Ears Media and describes herself as an army brat, a social media ninja, a technical copywriter, and a keynote speaker. But after talking to her, what I can tell you is what she really does is she teaches recruiting teams how to write compelling job posts that inspire you to want to work with that particular company. If you're ready to break all the rules, then I think this next conversation with Katrina is one for you to listen to. Hey, welcome my guest, Katrina Kibbins. I got your bio, et cetera, so I, I kind of know who you are and whatnot. So I want to change the question a little bit. Okay. What surprises people about you, your life, or your personality? I think the surprise I get most often is people assume I'm an extrovert mm-hmm. because I speak and I do videos and I talk a lot about things I'm really passionate about. I think people automatically translate that to, oh, she's social. She you know, is great in the crowd. And I'm pretty much the exact opposite. <laughs> I jokingly said that I act pretty confident for someone who has social anxiety around everyone but dogs. <laughs> I'm less because people keep asking if I'm an extrovert. Yes, and they treat you like one. Exactly. So in that, kind of talk, alluded to that you're taking this time off to really set sights on where you're going, as well as all the technology and the things that have occurred in this first two days in the area and space of recruiting and staffing and finding the right person for companies? How do recruiters get better at that? What do you think are the big lessons, learnings, reflections that you've had at this point? Yeah, I spent the last decade in this space. And I spent the first half of it thinking that technology was a missing link. I was a managing editor of a blog, and so I spent a ton of time looking at demos and understanding how technology plugged in. And for the last half of this decade, I've spent the time creating the content that goes into it. And I think that has been the real lesson for me is that technology fixes nothing. Technology isn't a standalone, right? Mm -hmm. We can't plug things in and make them work. Recruiting is not a computer. It's custom and it's special for every company. 
And so to summarize, I think my biggest lesson is that we have to know how to write. We have to know our story in order to make all of the other pieces work because that's what matters most in recruiting. In attraction specifically is that story and what people can see themselves living. And doing that, that's a pretty sophisticated skill to be able to tell recruiters are representatives and they have to tell the story, not of the company, not only of the company, but also of the person that they're searching for that job for. What, as you talk to so many people over the last half decade of the time that you've been doing this, what are the couple of things that you see are skills that recruiters really need to spend time learning or honing? Yeah. So the first one that comes to mind is asking better questions. I see a lot of recruiters asking for lists, and they get lists. And most of the time, it's too much or not enough. I very rarely see a list come from a hiring manager that is just perfect and describes everything we need. Because as recruiters, we are facilitators, fundamentally, in every aspect. And so, for example, instead of asking for a list of skills, I think I want to see recruiters take a more refined approach to asking questions and saying, one of my favorites is, okay, if I brought you a resume without X, you would laugh in my face. What is X? Mm, Great question. Right? It makes the hiring manager narrow things down. Yes. I'll say, what do they do every day? Instead of asking... What are the top three skills you're looking for? It, it's about contextualizing an experience, not a skill, because skills are not a universal language. And I would say that's the second big one that I think recruiters can really work on is honing their understanding of the experience of a candidate, not the skill. Mm-hmm. So maybe I know a ton about Java, but if I don't know the kinds of experience experiences you've had if you have five years of experience versus three years of experience, I'm not going to find the right person, right? And we just need to make that shift. Stop thinking about skills, start thinking about experiences and getting candidates to talk about those experiences in the intake and the application. Oh, that means people would have to actually read. Read? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Part of the attraction, at least from what I hear from recruiters, is the artificial intelligence, the algorithm actually screens, fix those keywords, pop up, and then they scan the first resume. And if it doesn't pop, they keep moving. They're not reading anything. And from candidates, I hear all the time, they get in front of a recruiter and the recruiter says, well, tell me about yourself. And they start talking about it and they say, was that in your resume? (laughs) Terrible. I mean, you laugh, but I hear that from particularly executives who have a lot of experience and they're trying to figure out how to get through. First thing is that applicant tracking process and then pass someone who really doesn't understand how they bring value to a job because they haven't done what you said is the first issue. So how do you, how does that get married? Yeah. And I would tell you that laugh is an uncomfortable chuckle at best. Mm-hmm. I think it's disrespectful to ask one to give their time to a conversation and to know nothing about them. I would never 
join conversation with you without understanding more about who you are and looking you up, right? And mm-hmm. this is a podcast. I'm not vetting my career up. Right, right. And it's just wrong to start the conversation from that place of, I can't say this enough, true disrespect. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. When, when I do training, I train teams on how to write, right? And so when I start those trainings, the first thing I do is I tell them a story about when I was laid off. And I won't tell the whole story right now, but I tell them how helpless I felt. I tell them about how I felt like I was at the bottom of the totem pole and I had no power. Then I ask them, who here has been a job seeker before? And you see this almost panic wash over them because they remember what it feels like. Right. And when you remember what it feels like, you, I think you act from a better place. And so what I do is I have them make promises about their writing. What are three words that you promise everything you write will be? Will it be honest? It can be transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, informative, whatever that is. When you write from that emotional place, when you sit in that feeling, I think we see recruiters make huge leaps because finally they understand what right looks like. And that doesn't mean overly professional following checklists. It means being a human and being considerate of other people. Yeah. And do you find that they can sustain it when they get back to the job? Because easy to, we know from learning that when we're in a safe environment where people are all struggling at the same level. And so everyone is saying, oh, I didn't recognize that I was being disrespectful by not being prepared for my interviews or making sure that my managers are prepared for the interviews. That's really disrespectful. Are you hearing stories? Are you checking back in? What are you finding on the other end? What starts to irritate them? Yeah, I am seeing that change. And they're seeing the impact on the other side. They're getting the right people to apply in the first place. And when those candidates show up, they're not surprised. I think that goodwill all the way to the end user. I've also seen a lot of transitions to them finally saying no. Because sometimes when we learn to write, it's not always about saying yes. It's learning how to say no in a confident way, too, and a considerate way. Yeah. So what? So looking forward after the training, and you've done the training for a while, and looking forward over this next kind of decade that's come up, what do you see as your next and the next for the recruiting industry, per se? I think good content when it comes to the job posting specifically, I hope and pray that we will see a better baseline of what looks like. Of what it looks like? What good looks like. Okay. Right now, if I go on a job board, any job board, Indeed, Monster, Career Builder, and I type in any word, and I mean any word, I can find a bad job posting. And I'm hoping that over the next decade, they change that. And here's why. All the technology that companies are trying to use to find the candidate, right, to get the candidate out of an ATS, they are keyword-based. If you don't create a job posting with the right keywords, none of those tools work. Yeah. And that, isn't that the challenge? Right. Through and through, that's the challenge. And so I find that these job postings are really a, a main lever 
in the big mix of how everything works in the hiring and recruiting process. And that's been really surprising to me because for a long time, people acted like job posts didn't matter. And right. the more I work on them, the more I realize they really do. Okay, so let's let's dig a little deeper into that because, you know, on my side, I work with HR people, sometimes recruiters, but mostly HR people who are always, they're, they seem to be obsessed right now with the keyword, the keyword, what's the keyword, how do I find the keyword kind of thing. And one of the things that I picked up from your podcast or your speeches, your writing in general, is that it's really about the story. Because the story is what the keyword may get the, the job description in front of a candidate, but it's the story of the company. It's the story of what they'll be. It's inspiring and being excited about this is an opportunity where you can achieve whatever it is that you think you want to get, whether it's money, whether it's, but mostly it's, I feel like I could be valued and I could contribute and that I could find a group of people who I like and I want to work with and they give me the juice kind of thing. Yeah. What, how do you marry? I mean, in writing it, how do you marry the two of those? Because you do have certain skills that do come up, but everybody is less than 30 seconds. Is it seven seconds? To capture attention now? All right. So I'm going to give you a hack. You ready for this? Record and transcribe your hiring manager interview. Mm. Now, you have to ask the right questions in the first place, and we've gone over that. But this is the leap where if you're not a copywriter, if you don't feel confident, the easiest way to translate skills into stories is to ask your hiring manager to tell you stories. You were going to transcribe the content. So I use a Mac. I record using a tool called Voice Memo. You okay. can use your phone to record yeah. a conversation. Uh, use QuickTime. If you're on a PC, there are a million options. You tell the hiring manager you're recording it, and you tell them you're recording it because their stories are better than what you write. You'll both chuckle about it, but we both know it's true. Their stories are going to connect. People who do the work, they are the best recruiters, right? Because you can connect on that level. You transcribe with whatever tool you want. I use a tool called Temi, T-E-M-I. It's 10 cents a minute. Yeah, yeah. You literally copy and paste sentences out of that transcription into your job posting. So, and so what's the, the hack, as you put it? What the, because at first, I could see, especially if I'm doing this for the first time, I go in and say, hey, I want to transcribe this. I can get pushback, and I have gotten pushback when I was in HR. Well, that's cheating that by telling them the answer. If you tell people what we're looking for, then somehow by giving them the questions, they're going to cheat, and then we won't know anything. And obviously, I don't believe that because I know the difference. I feel like really good HR people know the difference between those people who read the and those people who lived and used the book and know how to use the tips and techniques in it. And there's a real difference in how they talk about it. But I got to tell you, I still run into managers who say, well, we shouldn't be giving them the answers. What would you tell? And even HR, I got to say, more so HR people. We shouldn't be giving people answers like that and telling them all of this. What would you say to that? I think the role of the job posting is to help someone imagine what it would feel like to change their whole life. And if we don't at least tell them what they'll do every day, if we don't tell them what's most important, it is impossible for them to identify. It is okay. impossible for them to imagine their life like that. Here's an example. You can't go into a restaurant and just get food. 
you have to make a decision. The same works for a job posting. I don't want to go to a job posting and just get people. I want to be them to be able to make a decision. And you have to give this kind of information for them to be able to make a decision. So now I've made this decision and I show up. Tell me about the experience. How do I know as a manager, as an HR person, how do I know the experience that I want that candidate to have that will match? Using your analogy of going into a restaurant, you know, you have pictures. Oftentimes they have pictures, beautiful pictures of the food. And the goal is, is to have the food actually show up looking like the picture so that the experience matches what we put out there for people to, that would attract them. So oftentimes we show up and, you know, people are late. They're not, you know, it's not working. They don't ask the right question. How do you work through that? Yeah. So... It's hard to manage the experience because we can't manage all the variables, right? Okay. We can't control if people are late, if traffic is crazy. But what I do tell people is to ask two questions and make sure that when someone comes in, you have this conversation. So I ask the people on the team, specifically the hiring manager, why do you stay? And then I ask, what surprised you about this job? So knowing the two answers to those questions, when I'm having that experience piece, I want to make sure that I talk about the answers to both of those and make sure that that person understands that those are inevitabilities of this job, that if you want to stay, this is probably what will be best. <laughs> so break it down. To give me an example of when you did that. What was the answer? Yeah. I ask this question a lot. So we'll ask people why stay in this job. You will clearly have them on your plate. This is a hard job. You can go anywhere. Why do you stay? So I traditionally get an answer either one, it'll be about the mission. Right? Mm -hmm. They'll say, I stay because I'm going to find a cure for cancer. That's a project I'm actually working on right now. And every person said that over and over again. I interviewed over 20 people. Okay. Every single one. And so when, so I told them when interviewees come in, you need to vet for mission. And here are some sample questions you can ask. The other side of that, so mission is number one. The other piece is usually people or work, access to opportunities, access to smart people. And so you'll want to prioritize that in your job postings, in your content. The why do you leave works really well for high volume, low retention role. So if you hire 100 customer service agents every month, the answer to why you might leave should be in paragraph one and conversation one, always. Okay. If they say most people leave because they didn't know the schedule, it's like, okay, first sentence, we're talking about schedule. First conversation when you get on the phone, let's talk about your schedule. This schedule, I want to make sure that works for you. Okay, let's keep talking. Oh, okay. So basically from the interviews, and I'm assuming that you're interviewing not just the hiring manager, but maybe of people who actually do the job. Yes. And say, hey, why do you stay? Why would you go? What do you love? What do you hate? And then you start in the posting as well as sprinkle throughout there the, the actual interview or what I call the look-see kind of part of this. You're, you're reminding candidates this is true about us. The schedule is going to be a problem in this or the schedule is going to be like this. Are you really sure you're okay with that? We are here to cure cancer. Are you really interested in how hard that work is? And let me tell you what the ups are, the downs are. And this is, this is why we stay in it. Are you up for that? 
And so you're almost enrolling them as they go through the interview process. Is that right? Exactly. And you're testing the pressure points that you know this person needs to have, whether that be schedule or mission or, I mean, like that's the cancer example, right? You, you don't cure cancer every day. Yeah. You take baby steps. And so one of the key things that they need is resilience. Mm-hmm. People who will keep fighting because they know this matters to patients and someday it'll probably matter to someone in their family. The mm-hmm. stories I heard, they, I mean, they make me want to cry just thinking about them. They're so powerful, so powerful. And the fact that we could go and post a job and not tell that story is obscene to me. Why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. Because the right people will say yes. And the people who can't, who don't have the heart, and it's not that they're bad people. It's just they can't take the the inevitable wins as well as failures, right? Right. And if you're willing to go down the street and take another job for five or more selling couches, you don't belong at this company. Yeah. And it's reminding people that is the reason they stay. And that success and failures are just part of the job, no matter where you're at. But this is what it looks like here. Exactly. This is how we pull together to support each other. And, that, and that's an okay environment, too, for the right people. You got it. Good. So who are your heroes? Ooh, that's a really good question. So the first one that pops in my mind is my aunt. My, my aunt Connie is a principal <laughs> in a very rural town in North Carolina. And she's a former English teacher and a writer by trade. I think I always believed I could be a writer because of her. Okay. Um, and I realize that's probably not <laughs> the most inspiring answer, but I think she's my first one. My second one is kind of cheesy too, but so the second one I would say is Oprah. And let me explain why. Now, for obvious <laughs> yeah. Oprah, but let me give you the background. I have found that she was the first woman who came out and said authenticity matters most, that who you are is part of your brand, and that the way that we interact as humans is how we should market, how we should tell stories, how we should connect. To me, when I think about my own company, who I want to be, and how I want to lead others, think that model, I see that through and through as the most powerful connection that you can make between two people mm-hmm. is how we connect. And I, yeah. I do, I look up to her for her ability to do that. And she also said something that I think about a lot. And, uh, and I'm probably going to ruin this quote, but they, she asked, the reporter asked, what do you wish for? And she said, you know, I wait for God's blessings because he sends them for me. And so it's less about always thinking about what's next and how we get to the next thing. And mind you, her blessings are plentiful and I understand her perspective, but also from my personal, I think about life in the way that there's a plan for me and I don't always have to anticipate or run as hard and goes back to our initial conversation. I don't have to run the current constantly because there's a plan for me and she her saying that just it's really rung in my ear you know and so 
I could imagine. So I've said the same thing. I call it faith walk, right? It, your faith really is that you do believe in unseen, but you keep walking. You're not running to anything. You're not waiting. It is, you know, that the right things will show up because there is a plan for you. Okay. So, but the hardest piece, the piece that every person I ever meet, every person I ever work with, and I'm sure you probably face it when you're giving your training programs or working with people on being a better recruiter, writing better posts, is that sometimes it's the first step or they've taken a couple steps and adversity hits them. And, you know, when you say these words of, no matter how many times you get knocked down, the winners always get back up. But when you're faced with 700 no's or 20 years of trying to put something in place or seven years to change a culture or the idea of 10,000 hours to get to the point where you're a master at what you do, that's pretty daunting. And yet you, you just kind of said that you know that no matter how many times you get no, no matter how many times it doesn't work like you thought it was going to work and you get punched in the gut, you keep getting back up because you have this faith, this belief that it's going to work out. You don't have to push against it. it. What looks like an adversity today is probably a blessing that prevented you from doing something that you didn't need to be doing anyway, even if you don't know it. How do you, how did you get to this point where you could relax into, you could release and surrender into knowing that what is for you will come to you? I think it goes back to that restaurant metaphor you're talking about. So, you know, you can't go into a restaurant and get food, right? You Mm -hmm. have to make a decision. And so I think the big shift that I've tried to make over the last six to 12 months is to be more intentional about what I want, to spend more time thinking and reflecting on those things before I set the intention and truly slowing down to allow confirmation to come in whatever ways it will. That probably sounds a little hokey, but I think we've all had those moments when we knew that's where we were supposed to be. But if you're constantly running, you are not taking time to sit with that feeling. And that mm-hmm. feeling is very important. Well, either running or you don't believe, because I'm sure you've also heard people say afterwards, I knew in my gut and I didn't listen anyway. I also think that the biggest regret and most damaging regret to your self-esteem is I knew it and I didn't trust myself. Because that's basically what you're saying. I heard it. I knew it. I saw it. But you know what? I didn't trust it. And I did this over here. It didn't turn out. That just like little shreds against your self-esteem, your confidence, your ability to make decisions for yourself. It just shreds it away. So what advice would you give to somebody who that's where they were at? Yeah. I think it's important that they take time. First, set small goals little wins, little wins can feed your soul. And never forget that. I don't care if you write down, stand at your desk for 30 minutes, and then you put your desk in a standing position, and you stand for 30 minutes, and you get to cross that thing off. Little wins all the time. And I think the other piece of it is to take time to both work on and with whatever is ahead of you. Okay, so whatever that goal is, whatever has you, you know, maybe it's your career, uh, maybe it's your company, 
work on and in those things. So you look at it from a big perspective and set big goals. I also think it's very important to set the baby steps. Mm-hmm. So when you set the big goal and you say, for example, let's do a business example because I think most people can get that. Right. If I want 500 leads, it is 100 tiny steps to get 500 leads. Yes. And I see too many people say, I'll get 500 leads, and then they start to work. Instead of setting those 100 small goals to get to that 500. Yeah, yeah. And, when and you I see that so much in, in companies, people all the time is they're so busy figuring out what the big thing is, they never stop to think about, well, that's great. Going to Montana is wonderful if you live in North Carolina. But the first decision you got to make is how you getting it. Bank, bus, plane, train, walk, bike. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that often too. So I can't believe the half hour has gone by so quickly. And tell us about what 2020 holds for you and how can people get a hold of you? Yeah. So in 2020, my big focus is to help companies create what I'm calling a recruiting voice guide for job posting. I've never seen it done before, and I want to be the company and the first to offer it because I'm sure other people will pick up on it. And the whole idea behind it is that I believe just like brand guidelines exist for marketing teams, that we can create guidelines for recruiting and candidate experiences Mm -hmm. that give recruiters the baseline of what good looks like. Because we don't do that right now with a lot of things. Yeah, I guess that's a big problem. So I'm going to continue to reinvent and create those and continue to write the job postings and teach, be a teacher as much as I am a doer. Right. And so if anyone's interested in learning about the teaching, the doing, or any of that, if you spell my name correctly, I'm the only Katrina Kibben in the whole world. So you can find me just by typing my name in. Or you can go to threeearsmedia.com, all spelled out the number three years, and then the ones on your head, media, as in exactly that, media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll, to the blog post or the Instagram, we'll post links to your website and certainly your LinkedIn page. That's how I found you, through Twitter and LinkedIn, which I love. Um, yeah, hey, I, I follow, I get your feed, I laugh at you. Uh, I'm one of the first thing I had to learn in social media is 97% of the population does nothing more than watch. I'm of that population. And occasionally I will go, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but always know I'm out here watching you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And for those who are listening, if you love this comment, Please feel free to go and see Katrina when she's in your local area. Check her website and send her a Twitter comment or a LinkedIn comment, and she'll help you connect with her so that you can also learn how to become a better recruiter who writes stories that attract the right people. That's it for today, and I hope to hear you, to see you next week. That'll be it. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.